when the devil was tempting the Lord. You find the temptation in, the, in Luke 4 and other passages there. There's three of the Gospels recorded this time. It says he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove and God said, this is my son of whom I'm well pleased. And then immediately the Holy Spirit, it says, drave, drove, drove him out into the wilderness. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and prayed and started his ministry with this. The devil tempted him. The devil tempted him. And here's what it says in closing. Now, I want you to remember this as we go through this passage. The Pharisees left. The Sadducees come in. And it says, when the devil had ended his temptations, this is Christ in the wilderness, when the devil had ended all the temptations, he departed from him for a season. For a season. We'll never get the victory over the devil in this world until Christ returns. We can win the battles. But he will regroup and come back. He'll come back in a different form. He'll come back with a different uh, plan that's going to happen. It says in First Chronicles, Chronicles 21.1, it says that Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. The sister of that, the same passage in 2 Samuel 24 and 1, it says, and again the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he moved David against them to say, go, number Israel and Judah. Now the great sin of numbering the people was, God said, I am your safety. I'm your strength. I'll win the victories for you. You don't need to know how. If you take one man or 3,000, if I'm in charge, we'll win. You trust me. But interesting, right? It says Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David. Does Satan do that today? Can we say that he comes to our homes and provokes us? And I believe with all my heart that if you're a Christian, there's no way you can be absolutely infused with the spirit of demons. But they can harass. And brother, do they. It didn't take a genius. It doesn't take someone very spiritual to understand that what I just said to my wife wasn't from God. The, th the argument we just had and the final answer I gave to my wife was surely not from the throne of God. It was dark. And the Lord said, if you're not for me, you're against me. It's for one or the other. And people say, well, you're saying I'm uh, possessed of demons? No. No. But they harass and they harass and they harass and they provoke. And it's the world we live in. Be very careful. Be very careful. And so let's begin with a short prayer and ask the Lord to be with us this hour. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the word of God through your Holy Spirit as the author and also the teacher. How good is that? To pen the words and then teach us what they mean. And so, Father, we just thank you today that before us we have your word. We have another uh, tempting to catch our Lord in his words. And Father, we see that, again, you are the answer. So help us to see that clearly today and help us to understand how that applies to our very lives, our work, our marriage, our home, our finances, our children, all that we do. Because we're to render unto God the things that are God's. May we all learn 
and desire to give ourselves to you fully and know the joy that the life that you purpose for us can be lived and your purpose be done. Thank you now. Be with us. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. And so it's interesting, and, and I think that to open this passage with this, that Jesus left the tempting of Christ and departed for a season. Now, he dealt with him, and he deals with him today, and he deals with him, and he wins the victory as much as his children allow that, by the way. He always is a winner over Satan as much as we allow it. And so God here allowing Satan to provoke and to tempt is interesting. And so here we go in this passage with another question. It's posed, this question is posed to expose a weakness or uh, error in Christ. And I promise you it will only expose the questioner. It always does. And so for us to believe that we can work around the Bible, that we can go, I know what that says, but... It doesn't change God. It doesn't hurt God. It doesn't change his purpose or his plan. It doesn't take any strength away from him. It doesn't take anything from God for us to know the Bible says one thing and we're going to do another. That doesn't hurt God at all. He says it will come out how I say it will come out. If I can't use you, I will use someone. It will come out. My plans will be fulfilled. Now, is it a blessing for you and me to get, to get to be part of that plan? You better believe it. You better. If God said, I'm going to use you today to be part of my purpose and my plans, I'm going to use your mouth and your money and your, I'm going to use your kindness and your heart and your home and your family. I'm going to use you today. That is for us a blessing. But if we get up in the morning and say, you're not using me today, you know what? Things aren't working like I thought they should. I'm kind of mad. I'm going to go show the world what a mad person looks like today. I'm going to go show the world what grumpy looks like. Won't they be happy with that? Won't they be glad to see what grumpy looks like today? Because that's what they're waiting for. One more grumpy person. Are you glad this morning you woke up alive? I mean, our bodies can go through all kinds of contortions and pain. I get that. And I admire people who are in pain and still be nice. I, get that. I really do. Chronic pain makes you, it's hard to be real kind when you're in pain, which is very difficult. And I have some pain now and then, but the Lord is so good to me. How about you? Hmm? He makes medicines, he makes different things. Verse 18, chapter 12 of Mark. These Pharisees go away. It says, Then come unto him the Sadducees, comma, now listen to the, who they are, which say there is no resurrection. And they ask him, saying, Master, Moses wrote to us, If a man's brother die and leave his wife behind him and leave no children, that his brother should take up his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Anybody else who's a younger brother that's scared to death of this passage? Mmm. Call your brother and say, how you doing? <laughs> what can I get you? Go to the doctor. You see what it said? Moses said, if your brother dies, you leave a wife. The younger brother takes the wife. And the reason is to raise up seed to his brother. That his name doesn't die out in Israel. God is real big about lineage, lines, 
seed and families. Very big on families. Now, isn't it interesting, just in that little passage, how much God cares about families and what our country has done with families, what the world has done with families, with children. Interesting. It does say, and I'll read this to you from Deuteronomy, where they get their quoting from, it says, If brethren dwell together, and one of them die, and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her, and take her to him to wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. They're quoting that. Now here's the question to Jesus, verse 20. They give a parable, which is interesting. That's the Lord's mode of teaching. They say, now there were seven brethren, the first took a wife, and dying left no seed. And the second took her and died, neither left her any seed, and the third likewise. Verse 22. And the seven had her and left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. Now they think they have Jesus. The question. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. Now listen, to believe that you have Jesus over a barrel is this, it's called insanity. And we read these words and we look at the Bible and we think, how, how could it be in a day when people came up to Jesus and said, and they asked him a question thinking they're going to trap him? Do you know that's not common thinking among Christians today? I know what the Bible says, but, and we're going to do something altogether different. And that's saying to Jesus, your word is nullified in my heart. I know it says be kind to strangers. I know it says to, to share my home with people who are, have less. I know that it says these things. I'm just not going to do it. And we tell Jesus, your words don't have the meaning and the weight. You have no authority to do that with me. And we're going to stand before him one day, listen now, and every one of us give an account for this life, the things done in the body. I wake up, and I, just because. I'm the preacher, I get that. I'm the one studying for sermons every day, and I get that. But I wake up every morning, thankful, one, to be alive, and number two, this. Lord, will you help me to serve you today? Will you? Thank you. Thank you for life this morning. Thank you for another shot at it. But will you help me to serve you today? Because I know I'm going to stand before you for the events of this day one day. I'm going to stand before you for what I do this day and give an answer for why I did what I did. I don't think many Christians even consider that, let alone the people who are not redeemed. I don't think many Christians get up in the morning, I don't, because I ask them, that's why I think these things, I just ask them. Do you get up every morning with your mind focused on, I'm going to be standing in judgment one day for what I do today? Most people say, I rarely think about that. I rarely think about death, dying, eternity. Folks, this life, this life is very short. The Bible says in James it's a vapor. And you see a vapor from a pot or a kettle. You see when steam starts to come from a pot or a kettle, the thing begins to boil. It's very dense at the opening. And it rises and it just dissipates. Job said it five different ways and then James come along and he said this, 
our life is but a vapor. Here for a short time, it just fades away. I told the last hour, I'll tell you, I got a call. I'm going to do a funeral on Wednesday at 2 o'clock. Pray for me that somebody in the audience will hear the gospel. I don't know the people. They ask for someone down at the funeral home, and they just tend to give my name away. I think it's a privilege to get to share the gospel with a group who probably don't hear it very often. It's a real eclectic group because it's not a denomination. It's not a workforce. It's not a family. It's friends of the family and the family of the deceased. It's friends of the deceased and the family of the deceased. It's a group who will never gather again. You believe that? When you go to a funeral, that's a group who will never gather again because they're from all these different places and they're there for different people and different reasons. The old cat woman who lives three doors down comes to the funeral. She is not part of the group again, I'm telling you. But she wanted to say goodbye to her neighbor of 25 years out of respect. I get the shot at that. I get to stand before them and say that God loves you. Jesus Christ came to die for you. All you have to do is ask him and he'll save you. And so Jesus answers this question. They pose the question, a man, a woman, Married to a man, he dies. Moses said now, Moses said, they're, they're sticking right to the Moses. This is why the answer is so genius, but he, they're sticking with Moses, and they say, Moses said, trying to catch Jesus, trying to get him to get caught up in the Bible. Moses said, the next brother takes her. And so it goes until all the brothers, if they die, have married her. About the fourth brother ought to grab some woman and get married, don't you? <laughs> don't you think so? So he's so this is the family. This is the this is what the question is. Listen to what Jesus said. Listen to this answer. Wonderful answer, tremendous answer. And verse 24 it says, Jesus answering said to them, Do ye not therefore err? Because ye two things, because you're in error, because one, you know not the scriptures, and number two, neither the power of God. He says, you're wrong, and I'll tell you why. Two things. Two things make you wrong about this silly proverb. Ignorance of two things. You're ignorant of knowing the scriptures and the power of God. Now, you want to lose friends? Go to a university town and start throwing the word ignorant around. The Bible does it often. The world can't take it. First of all, there's a misuse of the word. Ignorant means you don't know. Ignorant means you don't know. Stupid means you know you're not going to do it. Ignorant means you don't know. Do you know everybody in this room and everybody here in me and everybody in this planet is ignorant of most things? Everybody is ignorant of most things. But you have family, the mind is one, that misuse the word. Oh, I said to a co-worker one day, I do this and do that. I was a young man. Young man was a business, and I had a coworker. She hired on, and we were in the, having a cup of coffee. And she, I asked her to do something, and she said, "I don't know how." And I said, "Oh, you're ignorant of that, boy." She had a meltdown. She thought I attacked her person. She thought I attacked her as a person. All I said was, "You're ignorant of that." You know what she told me? I don't know about that. You know what she? You know what that says? I'm ignorant of that. Stupid means I know, and I keep doing it wrong. So, be careful. But what Jesus said was, you're ignorant of two things. If you look up the word ignorance, I'm, you're going to find this. Ignorance. 
you've ignored to get that. You've ignored the workings of that, or you, you've ignored that. Ignorance is ignorance, and you've ignored it. And Jesus is on the He's on the answer. Now what the Bible says is what you're ignorant of. You're ignorant of the Bible and what it says, and you're ignorant of the dynamic of who said it. Very clear answer. But can I tell you something? That even in the group calls itself Christians and church members in our country, those are the two ignorances that are still raging. Ignorant of what the Bible says. Do you know what the Bible says? You know people tell me, I never saw that before. Here's the answer. They'll, they'll think of the answer. They don't know what the Bible says. Most people know very little about the Bible. Christians, non-Christians, churchgoers, non-church members. Most people know very little about the Bible. Think they do. Because, you know, there's this thing in the human nature that wants to claim brilliance. I don't know what it is. Although all the evidence is contrary to that, people want to claim brilliance. God's not asking for brilliance. He's asking for obedience. He says, you're, you're error this way. You don't know what the Bible says and you don't know the power of God. You know what the Sadducees believed? They believed that there was no such thing as a resurrection. That was their rub with all the teachings of Christ and the Pharisees and all the other religion, religious leaders. And they, they even say, if you look through your Bible carefully and look up all the things the Sadducees say, they say this, and if there was a resurrection, what good would it be? Because they believe if you came back in another, you would have all the uh, shortcomings and all the trappings of this body. You would come back in this body and live that way. So they didn't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus said, that's where you err. You don't believe in the resurrection of the power of God. That's very common, actually, to the church. It's, it's amazing. In verse 25, when he answers, he says, when they shall rise, the very first things out of his mouth is there is a resurrection when they shall rise from the dead. They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but there is the angels which are in heaven. He says, you don't understand, you don't even understand it. You don't understand the spiritual side is what he's saying. You don't understand the spirit of it. Now I want to say this before we go much farther. What Luke says in this uh, story, at this point, he says, it's, it's Luke 20 and verse 34, and Jesus answering said unto them, the children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be counted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die anymore. For they are equal unto God as angels, and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Now this is why I say to you, Sunday after Sunday, read all the Bible, put all the accounts together. The Holy Spirit wrote them all. This one has a different phrase in it than the other two, found in Matthew and here in Mark. Luke says, listen carefully, the children of this world marry, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world. How are we accounted worthy of that world? How are we accounted worthy of the kingdom? The resurrection, eternal life kingdom. How are we accounted worthy? Revelation um, 
Revelation 3 and 4 says this, as the Lord came back, the Bible says, he came back and he gave a grade card to the seven churches, Sardis and Ephesus and Thyatira, Laodicea. When the Lord came back and gave the grade card, he said, this is how you're doing. This is a, your grade report. It says in verse uh, 4 of chapter 3, that thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He said, there's a few in Sardis who shall walk with me in white, and the reason is not because they go to church, not because they are religious people, not because they own a Bible, not because their father was a preacher, not because... He said, that here's the reason. They're worthy. So the question is, what makes us worthy? What makes us worthy? Verse 5 says, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Don't you want that from the Lord? Don't you want him to turn to the Father in the throne and say, this is God. It's all paid for. He got under my blood. He came to me and said he was a sinner. He confessed he was a sinner and needed me. And that's why I came, Father. And I took his sin and he took my righteousness and the blood covers his sin. That's why I died. This dawn. Here he is. You know why I'm worthy? Because of him, not me. Nothing I can do, nothing. My flesh doesn't have the ability to earn heaven. So I come before him and I hit my knees and say, God save me. Your son came to pay the price. Thank you for that. I can't pay it. I don't have what it takes to pay it. I don't have the payment. Can't do it. My flesh can't be good enough. Christ said, if you come, I'll in no wise cast you out. Here I am, Father, a broken man, a man who knows I can't get there without you. Why, the psychologists say you have a problem, there's something wrong with you. Don't you have any self-respect or self-esteem? I have enough to know this, I can't do it. I've gotten up for 63 years every morning and said I want to do better, and by the noontime I'm making this, well, maybe tomorrow. Now that's you. I get up every day thinking I'll do better. And by noon, I'm talking to the Lord saying, maybe, maybe tomorrow. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? You know what he does. You don't, but he does. People are stingy with their forgiveness. They hold grudges. And they put you out there and say, when you paid the price, when you paid enough, and when I deem you as paying enough, I'll, I might forgive you then. You know what the Lord says? Paid for. You ask, and I'll come ask. I'll forgive you. Folks, do you hear it? The Lord said, you don't understand the Bible. There are going to be people in heaven. They're not going to marry and be married. Marriage is for procreation and different things. He said, the love in heaven is all different. It's not going to be between people and people. We're going to love so much, but our focus will be Christ and God the Father. We're going to love him with a supernatural love. We're going to be grateful. We're going to know each other. Will you know your wife in heaven? Yeah. 
but she can't run you. The Lord's in charge there, man. She can't tell you what to do. What? <laughs> what I say? Anyway, Thomas said to me the other day, just the other day, you think we'll know each other in heaven? I said, you plan to be dumber in heaven than you are here? I don't know. The Bible says we shall know as we are known. That's a big statement. We shall know as we are known. Think about that. Lord said, I know the hair is on your head. The number changes every day. It's getting easy for me, but some of you people, his work, count your hairs. I can count mine now, but the Lord said this. I know the numbers on your head. I know the thoughts in your heart. I know your fears, your joys, what you hope for, what you dread. I know that. I love you. Come to me and I'll get you through it. And it's not going to be a just barely get you through it. You're going to come out shining. Just trust me. Trust me. I say very clearly and very openly, he's the only thing we can trust. You can't trust your own heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If you don't think so, think, think someday you're doing pretty good as a Christian. Have somebody come at you and see what your heart thinks. See what, must, what you want to come out of your mouth. See what you want to come back with. And the heart is deceitful. You think you're pretty good and I think I'm doing well and my heart jumps up and says, the government's not going to save you. I said that at a funeral two weeks ago, and a man jumped at me for using a funeral as a political platform. I don't care who you're voting for. I'm going to tell you this. Politics isn't going to save you. Your checking account's not going to save you. It's not big enough. You can go broke in one day. You can, you can be thinking, I'm riding high, and look at all we got, and get a phone call, and you're broke. And you need hundreds of thousands to even fix it. Unless you live in a whole different world than I do. That's where most common people live. Don't believe money. Do you hear what he said? A few shall walk with me in white. Because they're worthy. We're worthy because of Jesus Christ. Zechariah 3 and 1, it says this, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Zechariah 3 and 1, 3 2. It says, The Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Uh, verse 3 says, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. And he stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood uh, before him, saying this, this is the Lord speaking, Take away the filthy garments from him, and unto him he saith, Behold, I, the Lord said, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with the change of raiment. Is it beneath your dignity? Just come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm filthy. Oh, I'm filthy. And only you can clean me up and change my clothes. Joshua, the high priest, stood before them in filthy garments. Get that straight. It's Joshua. Yeshua. And he stood before them. And the argument was between Satan and God. And he was standing there as the high priest of God, God's spokesman. And the devil said, look at him, he's filthy. 
I don't care what you call yourself in this world. I don't care what you wear. You can turn your collar 19 ways if you want to. You can wear a dress. You can wear a robe. You can wear a suit. You can wear overalls. If you're God's spokesman, guess what? You're still on this planet. You're still dirty. Everybody I've ever known in the ministry is still a man or a woman. And we still have our own heart and our flesh. And if I'm clean before the Lord one minute, of one day is because he cleaned me up, not because of me. I hope you understand that. And who are these Sadducees? Who are the Sadducees? It says um, they believe that the soul occupied by the body only until death, and then all perished. The notion, the notion to the Sadducees of a future reward or loss, was but a dream. They said it was but a dream and a fairy tale and people were living in the dream. Let me tell you something. If you go to work tomorrow and tell everybody you meet that you believe Jesus Christ came and he saved your soul, there are going to be a number of people who think you're fantasizing. You're living in a dream. If it is, don't wake me up. But I'm going to tell you what. If the odds are this, if the odds are at the end of this life, a believer and a non-believer, if the odds are this, I lived all my life and I preached the gospel and there's no Jesus Christ. There's no salvation. There's no heaven. The unbeliever stands and if the odds are there is a Christ and there's a heaven, there's a hell. What did I lose by living a Christian life? What did I lose by believing there's a Christ and there's a heaven and hell, there's a judgment being a Christian? I was around some really good people. We met in fellowship and I got to know some real good people. What of what the non-believer, if they're wrong, what are they, uh-oh, there is a heaven and hell and there's a judgment and my life is in scrutiny here and whatever I did in that life is going to follow me into eternity. Do you know how long eternity is? I don't either. I can't get my head around it. But I know this. Forever and ever and ever is what the Bible says. Be in pain. Be in excruciating pain for three minutes. That's about two and a half weeks. Forever and ever and ever. And do you know what hell is? Yeah, I don't either. But I know this. It's the absence of everything that's good. And the presence of everything that's ugly. And dark and painful and hurtful. on my home. Remember this now, 1 Corinthians 15 and 42. I'm going to go here with you this morning and read some of this and I don't think, I don't know how far we'll get but this is the answer to the question of the Sadducees. Paul lays it out so clearly. 1 Corinthians 15 beginning of verse 42 and it says so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption and raised in incorruption. Now, now uh, I go to the funeral home. I hate that place. But so many people have a question when it comes to their family, their home, when it hits home. Where's my grandpa now? Where's my mom? Where are they? Where are they? Paul says this. 
so also is the resurrection. Verse 42, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it's raised in a spiritual body. There is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man made a quickening spirit, Jesus Christ. How be it? That was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. We live in the flesh. We live in this natural body. We're going to live in a spiritual body forever, one place or another. No matter if you go to heaven or if you go to hell, you will live forever in a spiritual body. Now the spiritual body can feel. The spiritual body has emotion. People in hell will feel the discomfort, they'll feel the pain, but the most of it, I believe, is the pain of knowing I could have not been here and I chose not to with my life. I think personally, this is me, this is not scripture, I believe hell will be a place where you're surrounded with everything that kept you from Jesus Christ. There might be piles of gold, there might be huge houses, there might be pornography, whatever it is that drew you from Christ, I think you're going to be surrounded with that forever, knowing this is what I chose. And it, 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 it pays no dividends. Positive. Only pays the negative. I've been in real estate now for 21 years, and I've been uh, privileged with handing people a key to a house and saying this, it's yours. It's fun to go over to someone. The bank had a closing. The check went through, and I can give you the check, and I'll meet you over there and go meet at the house, and the family comes, and he takes the day off, the afternoon off, and she brings the kids, and they get out of the car, and it's our home now. And there's nothing more fun for me than that. I hand them the keys and say, you open the door. I've opened it 15 times, let you in there to look at the household and inspect the house. Today is your key. You open, the open your home. And I stand on the front porch, and if they invite me in, I go in. They always do. They forget to for quite a while. They run through looking at things and screaming and hollering. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. But you know what? Three days later, I get a call. The pantry door is a foot too small. The place where I put the cookie sheets beside the stove is not what I thought it would be. The master bedroom, the sun comes in the morning, I can't sleep in. Swim pool's got a crack. When you're down the swimming pool cracks, you've got a pretty good life. But they call me. We never thought about it. My husband's truck won't go in the garage. What good is a garage if you can't get your truck put away? You know what I'm telling you? This life isn't perfect. There's no perfection here. None. There's no perfection here. You look across the table at the one the Lord gave you in matrimony and say, look at that. It's perfect. Look what the Lord gave me. Someone that, folks, listen carefully, loves me. Someone that loves me. The whole world doesn't love you. Most of the world doesn't even like you. But there's someone if you're fortunate to have someone to sit across the table and that loves you, 
do all you can to love them back. What can I do? What can I do? This is a body that we have here. We'll go there. We'll not be married anymore. There's no more marriage. There's no more giving in marriage because it's for procreation. There'll be no death in heaven. No reason to procreate. No reason for marriage. God gave us that for our joy here, to build families here. And he gives children so that we can understand just a little bit how much he loves us. Just a little bit. A little bit. Then they get in high school and we have to pray hard. Lord, what was that about again? <laughs> how do you love these things? Look what it says. Verse 48 says this. As is the earthy. It's not earthly. Don't call me to correct me. It's earthy. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. As is the heavenly, such also are they that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now listen carefully. We're done with this passage. Read it very carefully and learn what it means to be resurrected. Paul says in verse 15, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. We have to go out of here through the grave. The grave is a place with no knowledge, just like going to sleep. When you're a kid, you sleep, and when you get older, you don't sleep as well, but when you you wake up and three hours have passed and you don't know what happened in those three hours at all. Well, it'll be years and it'll be a long time, but it's what death is, no knowledge. But the Lord's going to wake us all back up one day. And he said, you can't come to heaven like that. I've got to change you. You wouldn't enjoy it in that body. Let me give you one you'll enjoy. You can't come with a sinful nature. You can't come with a corruptible body. You can't come that way. And the Sadducees came to Christ and they wanted to take him down with that teaching. Listen to this from Paul. Listen to this from Paul. It's in Acts, so I'll just say that to you. He used what they believed. It says, when Paul perceived, and this is in the book of Acts, it's actually the 23rd chapter. It says, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee of the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I am called into question. And when he, had also, when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. So Paul said, I gotta, I'm getting out of here. And he got them fighting each other instead of him. And folks, that works with Scripture a lot. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And so he caused a fight in the religious ranks. That's the Apostle Paul. Can we still do that? Is God, is God okay with that? Tell the truth and let them fuss it out. From Hebrews chapter 12, it says, But ye are coming to Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable company of angels. That's our future. That's the future of the Christian that dies. We are coming to the heavenly Jerusalem, 
Hebrews 12 and verse 22, innumerable company of angels to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. When you get saved, God writes your name in a book. When you accept Jesus Christ, he writes your name in a book, the Lamb's Book of Life. No one gets to that book. No one blocks your name out of that book. No one can get to the book. And at the end, when they, everyone stands before Christ in the resurrection, the great resurrection of the white throne, no one is in that book. Apparently, all names are written in all the books, and as people don't receive Christ, their name is blotted out. But when you and I are raptured, when we die, and the Lord says, Don Cunningham, yeah, I have 57 Don Cunninghams. We'll keep reading. Is your middle initial P? Yeah. Was your dad's name G? Yeah. Was your mother Mildred? Yeah. That's who you are. It's me. Were you the best of nine children? I was. And he'll say, Look, welcome home. Welcome home. Won't that be a good day? Won't that be a good day when Jesus Christ says, Welcome home? Yeah, you're on the list. You're in the book. Your name's right here in the book. Welcome home, son. Isn't that something? Hebrews says now, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of all just men made perfect. You're not perfect, but you'll be made perfect. When we take the incorruptible body, the corruptible body and die and go into incorruption, we'll be made perfect. Made in the image of Jesus Christ. Oh, and it says in Revelation, you'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. No more pain, sorrow, death, crying. No more, no more of that stuff. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Washed by the blood. Incorruptible in heaven. Perfect. Perfect. Now the ignorance of that is common to so many people. I've said that before. The greater question is this, what do we do once we're enlightened to these things? What do we do with that knowledge? Here's what brawny men have told me in my whole history. I don't need him. I don't need Christ. Got something to say to brawny men. Your body will break down. You're going to get old. I can tell you about it. There will be a day when you can't do what you did. There will be a day. Then by doesn't last forever. And if you're strong in your youth, God bless you. He gave you a gift. If you're strong in your youth, the other men will use your strength all they can. You'll be a you'll be a machine to them, a tractor, a truck, a lift, a power. But you'll get out of bed one day and your shoulders will say, Man, this is painful. Your back will say, Whoa, 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 whoa. Put your pants on slower. Your knees say, I don't want to do those stairs today. I don't want to stand on ladders as much. It happens to all of us. What do we do once enlightened to the fact that this is a corruptible body and we're waiting the resurrection? 
To finish up in Mark, it says in verse 26 of chapter 12, as touching the dead, they that they rise. Have you not read the book of Moses, how the bush in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob? Listen to Christ's answer. Here's your error. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You therefore do greatly error. God does not say, God does not say in his title, I was. That is not ever in his title. He said, Moses, Moses, when you go, and Moses says, what should I say? Moses knows he's fallible. Moses knows he doesn't know what to say to every situation and to command six million people is a bunch of business. And he says, what shall I say? And God said, you say that I am sent you. Think of that. He is. God is. He doesn't change. He's not stronger. He's not weaker. He's not wearing out. He's not different. He is. And he said, go tell. Go tell. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is a current state. I am their God. He said, if he is their God, they are. If he is, he's telling you they are. They're with him right now. They're fine. They're safe and they're fine. They hadn't thought about it enough to put together the truth of the, of the scriptures. He says, you err because you don't know the scriptures. And you err because you don't know the power of God. When these men died, their, their spirits arose. And he today is their God more than he was when they were alive. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not was. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. Religion can take you into such great error. In relationship, there's understanding and peace and rest forever. Two verses. Romans 8, 10, and 11. Romans 8, 10, and 11. Two verses. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwelleth in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Can I tell you a wild secret? Let me tell you a wild secret. When you accept Jesus Christ, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, the Holy Spirit is sealed inside of you. The Bible says in Ephesians, read the book. The Bible says in Ephesians, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes down to dwell in you. It's actually, the word is actually, if you look at it carefully, it's invasion. It's a, it's a, it's an out of world invasion from a different world. The Lord said, this is not my kingdom. I come from a different place. But we're taken on by this from another world invasion, spiritual invasion, and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. And here's the wild secret. You can't go to hell after that. You can't go to hell after that. He's sealed inside of you. Now, can you get uh, living stupid and wild and against all the things of God? Yep. What are you going to be? Miserable. And probably you're going to get to go home sooner. But you can't go to hell. Isn't that something? Lose rewards? 
lose all kinds of things, but you can't lose your salvation. The Holy Spirit sealed inside of you. If the Spirit of Him that raised Jesus from the dead dwelleth in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. One of these days, yeah, the Undertaker's so funny, they always tell me the same thing. We're going to get about 17, 18 guys to carry you to the hole. <laughs> get a crane come in here and put you in the hole. Don't worry. <laughs> and that's how they tell me, don't worry, somebody show me your funeral. We've got to have at least 18 to come and carry you. <laughs> well, let me tell you this. If you get to see me in a box, I'm not going to be there. If you get to walk by and see my carcass in a box, I'm not going to be there. And don't you cry for me. I want you to sing. The church is one foundation. Don't you cry for me. I don't think it would anyway, but it sounds good to say. Don't cry for me. I'm in a better place. But just be sure you come see me. Just be sure that when you get in the box, you're with me already. Would you do it? Would you tell Jesus Christ that you want to be saved? Lord, I've lived this life so long and I've made a mess of most of it. But you're the one that can straighten it out. Lord, I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to be with you. Forgive me. Wash me. Would you say it to me? Have you said it to me? Did you mean it? Do you mean it today? Be sweeter every day, folks. Every day. Father, we ask your blessing now. Thank you for the teaching of your word and just know that we will not try to catch at your words. When your word makes it command and directive, we will not say, yeah, but. Lord, you just don't understand how people are. I'm special. They're bad. Help us to know, Lord, the answer is this. Here am I. Send me. The world is bad. It is dark. It's ugly. Satan has been devising a plot against your children since he heard your plan in the garden. And it's playing full today. It's playing full. Lord, we ask to move your, that you would move your hand and let the whole world see who you are once again. Revive in us the understanding of what it means to fear the Lord. Begin at the house of God. Divide us how you need to divide us, Lord, but bring us to an understanding of who you are. Help us to serve you well. Give us strength. Give us power. Give us understanding. We thank you mostly for salvation. Thank you that we can know that when the day comes, we take our last breath. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be in your presence. Oh, Lord, we thank you now. Bless all that hear this today. Bless our families, our homes, and what we do. Thank you now for who you are and who we are because of you. In Christ's name we pray.